Don't you hate it when you're working on a bottle project and then all of a sudden it goes way out of scope, over budget, and everyone's miserable? I do hate that. It happens to me every day. Every day? Every single day. Do you do you also hate when your fun little project that's supposed to be the easiest and cheapest on-location project ends in a hundreds-of-year-old tree being downed and releasing lots of... And lots and lots of bugs. That also happens to me every day. <laughs> every day? What do you do? I run into trees with my truck. Why? It's Ruskin. <laughs> what else is there to do? Are there... I don't know. I'm never in Ruskin. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that's what happened with Chris Carter on this episode. Tragic. It was supposed to be the easiest and cheapest and it, did it turn out to be the most expensive? No, no. because space. space was the most expensive. They did that recreation of the NASA launch lab or whatever. Yep, which is silly. It really is, because it didn't didn't look like it cost that much money. I don't know, man. I don't know what they what they what materials they uh, made for that, or how far they had to drag it out into the wilderness. Don't you hate it when you're just walking around your house and dragging your finger along shelves. Look at your finger and you're like, definitely bug poop. That's never happened to me. That's good. Well, Mulder does it about 11 times in this episode. <laughs> he doesn't taste it, but he looks like he's going to for a moment. Coward. <laughs> well, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars and tell us how witty and clever we are and how we have changed your life. <laughs> yes, do that. Yeah. <laughs> Lie to us. <laughs> no! Tell us the truth that we've changed your life. So, here's the episode, and sorry for all the itching you're about to do. Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I'm a nerd who somehow never saw The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. Cast Files is a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X-Files, spoiler free. Today we are talking about Season 1, Episode 20, Darkness Falls. It originally aired April 15th. 1994, to a viewership of 12.5 million people. It was written by the man himself, Chris Carter, directed by Joe Napolitano, his second episode directing. Oh, do you think they're, st they're all as itchy as I am after watching this? Probably. I'm so itchy. It took Chris Carter four months to write this episode because he couldn't stop itching. <laughs> I actually have a bit of trivia about this episode, and I will skip the cast to go into the trivia, and then I will come back. Okay. Because this was intended to be a bottle episode based on a single location to save money, but bad weather plagued production. Hmm. It was one of the toughest episodes of the season for the crew. Oh, the weather delayed production so much that pickup shots and inserts had to be filmed later on to finish. Wow. Delays were also caused by the inaccessibility of the location, since only generators, camera equipment, and first aid crew were able to stay on site 
and time was wasted commuting staff each day. Wow, that sucks. It really does. Poor Joe Napolitano. Oh, man. And everybody on this show. Nope, just Joe Napolitano. <laughs> I hope their generators stayed on all night. single light bulb. All right. In the cast, we have Jason Beggy. He's an actual friend of David Duchovny, which is another bit of trivia. I'm just going all out of sorts this time. Oh no, the chaos suit is back. <laughs> yes! It has been a week of chaos, and now I'm bringing it this time. All right. So here we go. Take control. I am. I co-sign. So here we go. Jason is Larry Moore, who is the ranger, who I only call the ranger for the rest of this time. He was in G.I. Jane. Okay. And Runaway Virus, a TV movie. <laughs> now, it's funny that you mentioned that he's actually friends with David Duchovny, since he also was in Californication, which is where I know him from. Yes, and I knew you were going to add that, so I didn't take it from Makes you. Makes sense. Tom O'Rourke is Steve Humphreys, a.k.a. the mustache guy. He was in something called Tall Tales and Legends. Also, <laughs> Paradise. Oh. Did he play Paul Bunyan in both of those? Yes. All right, cool. Titus Welliver, a.k.a. Doug Spinney. He was also in Hindred the Embraced. Yes! Just like that other person who I meant to look up and didn't. Ah, nice. I will have to do one of those charts at the season finale to be like, this person is in this and this, and all of them were in the X-Files and Kindred the Embraced. Nice. Do a bunch of red yarn. Yep. Nice. And then what is the other one? Gym Teacher the movie? <laughs> yeah. Gym Teacher colon. Yes. The movie. You're right. He was uh, he was also in Born to be Wild. He's also in like everything. Yeah. This yeah. guy's been all over the place. Well, I had to do the Kindred, the Embraced, of and course. then I'm trying to stay on theme, so Born to be Wild. Right. Well, I was just adding my little thing. Barry Green is Perkins. He was in Super Babies, colon, Baby Geniuses 2. <laughs> uh. It doesn't have anything to do with this episode, but... The amount of times I've called myself a dumb baby the last <laughs> couple of weeks, it fits. Maybe you can be a super baby. A super dumb baby. <laughs> <laughs> and Ken Trimblett, a.k.a. Dyer, was in Dead Like Me. Oh, huh. Yep. And Pursued. Yeah. Yeah, but Pursued. You see how it fits into this? No. Okay. Okay. Well, Hulu gives a quick explanation. I did Hulu instead of IMDb, but a lot of times they're the same, so... Whichever one you prefer. Pretend it's that one. A group of loggers working in a remote forest unearth thousands of deadly insect-like creatures that paralyze and then cocoon their victims. Oh, well, we don't actually see them do any of that. We don't. So, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we don't see that at all. Hmm, whatever. So, are you going to be Dyer or Perkins? Oh, we're starting off? I have a little setup, but I need to know who you're going to be. Dyer. Okay. So we, Sir Dyer, are in the Olympic National Forest in Northwest Washington State right now. Okay. Getting in character. Okay. In the forest, a large group of loggers are congregated loosely around two people in the center who are arguing. And now for Cast Files Theater. You're supposed to be in charge here, Perkins. I am in charge. Well, these men want some answers. They want to know what your plan is. Let's face it. This thing could kill us all. 
We should have been gone two days ago. Nobody would listen to me. Nobody knew what it was two days ago, Perkins. Nobody knows now. Somebody has to go for help. What about the rest of us? What are we supposed to do? Just wait until help arrives? We have to take a chance. One of us has to hike out. The person might not make it back in time. He might not make it down to the road before nightfall. Then what? I say we make a run for it. Split up and take our chances. The men, murmur, 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 <laughs> the men murmur and yell in agreement. It's suicide, Dyer. I walk right up to you. <laughs> Fine. You stay here. Tell us how it turns out. End scene. That was Cast Files Theater. Beautiful. He pushes past him, and I didn't identify who he was, so... I think it's dire. <laughs> I think it is, too. Because Perkins just stands there going, Ugh. But I, I do like how it's like, he pushes past him. Well, pronouns are fantastic, except for when you don't identify either of them. <laughs> <laughs> the men start to run. Perkins runs with them. Indiscernible yells can be heard. It is sundown, and now nightfall. Animals screech and howl. Dyer trips over a log and grunts. Perkins jumps over the log and kneels down beside him. Dyer checks his ankle. Dyer breaks his ankle. Perkins tries to help him up. Dyer falls to his knees. We're not going to make it. We're not going. A humming starts within the forest. Perkins and Dyer look around frantically. The humming grows louder and louder. They look up to see a giant swarm of green bugs coming down towards them. Dyer screams. Perkins can do nothing but look on in horror. End scene. Opening credits. Wow. You've never acted out an entire cold open before. It was necessary. Okay. Well, my notes on the cold open. Oh, yes. In the scene where Dyer and Perkins are standing there, standing around, there's just this bright light in the back. <laughs> and so knowing what we know about the episode after having seen it, why didn't you go stand in that light? I was wondering the same thing. That makes me think of this episode had to be super hard to film. Yes. Because you have to light your actors. Yes. But you can't have light in this episode. <laughs> right. And apparently back then they weren't just putting blue filters on everything to make it nighttime. Right. So I guess blue filters, no matter how much criticism we give them, they do help for this sort of thing. Yeah. I think they can definitely be used, definitely be used well. And they can be used poorly. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to give this episode a little bit of leeway. Yeah. Because it just... It would be rough. There's supposed to be pitch black, but it can't be pitch black. Right, because then it, people would be hurt. <laughs> yeah. People, and you wouldn't be able to see anybody right. on the camera. People would get hurt, and we couldn't see it anyway, and so it would be for no reason. So unless it's just egregious, I'm trying to let the whole light thing go. Which is actually very interesting, because I mentioned this in a previous episode, where there is a criticism that the X-Files is super dark. Yeah. And this is a case where it needed to be super dark. And I don't think they did a bad job, actually. There are certain areas where you're like, well, just, just go to the light over there. I can, I, that's artificial light. Yeah, there's shadows here, so there's light somewhere. Right. But... I actually like this episode, and so the lighting situation and knowing that it was one of the hardest episodes for them to film. Yeah. I think they, with what they had, I think they did a great job. Yeah. I also liked this episode. Oh, yay. Look at that. Hey. Hey, is that the first one? <laughs> no. It's not, it's not. We just missed each other on the last few, I think. I, okay. The X-Files office, FBI headquarters, Washington, D.C. 
A slide is up of the loggers. Scully is sitting at a desk and Mulder sits down in front of the slide. Mulder takes the most annoying route explaining what this case is. <laughs> he had to pull some strings to get this eco-terrorism case, but that's because he knows of another case from 1934 where the FPA crew vanished in the same area without a trace, just like the current day crew. It's funny that you say he takes the most annoying route because I do this sort of thing the same way sometimes. And Maybe you should stop. I don't feel like I should. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, look at this picture. Do you notice anything in this picture? And there, there was any- nothing there's to nothing, notice. <laughs> there's nothing to notice in the picture. Do you? What do you know about this picture? Is your boyfriend in this picture? <laughs> Ugh. So I guess I don't do this sort of thing, but a similar sort of thing that I've done before. Well, maybe you should take that, be a little introspective, and stop doing it because it's annoying. (laughs) Maybe, but probably not. Probably not. All right, and my first reaction was, oh, I hope the eco-terrorists are okay. Yes, it was not a picture of them. Oh, there was a picture of them also. The main picture was the loggers. Yeah, but they mentioned the eco-terrorists in this, and I was just like, well, I hope they're doing good work out there. Yeah. This episode takes a weird stance on them. I'm not sure whose side this episode goes down on. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. It's, It's unclear. I bet if we did some research, which maybe we will eventually... I did a bunch of research, just not on this thing. Right. <laughs> I bet Chris Carter says something about how eco-terrorists are good good guys. Okay. This seems like that's where the episode's going, because... And then it turns in a weird way. It, yeah, a, a little. Hmm. But I'm willing to bet that that's where his heart was when he wrote the episode. Okay. I mean, I've got a bunch of X-Files books around here. I just haven't referenced them because I've gone off into my science corners, and it's not X-Files stuff that I'm science cornering. Yeah. All right, anything else about this scene? Nope. Moving on. We're at the ranger station in Olympic National Forest, northwest Washington State. Oh, one thing before they leave, Mulder says, it'll be a nice trip to the forest. Oh, yes. It's important to mention that. It is. Scully shows up wearing the most 90s windbreaker ever. (laughs) Big poofy thing. Big poofy and bright. Like fuchsia, turquoise, brightly colored. Don't remember what Mulder was wearing. It must not have been interesting. Earth tones. We meet the Freddy in charge. He's down on the eco-terrorists, but only in execution. Not theory. Although someone shot a twenty-two into his driver's side window. <laughs> he says there's not much to hunt up there with that caliber. What is there to hunt with other calibers? Because twenty-two is small. It didn't even penetrate his windshield. Mm-mm. So should they be worried about grizzly bears? No, because there's no trees. Okay. Deforestation. All right. So there's just nothing to hunt up there with any caliber. Not anymore. That'd be a more succinct way to say that. Leave me guessing less. Oh, well, humans have killed all of the animals by taking their habitat. I've never heard of that before. You should do a science corner for yourself after this. Oh, okay. (laughs) As they drive into the forest, Mustache Guy... Oh, I've skipped all of Mustache Guy, so let's go back. Mustache guy shows up. Ah, company man. He was talking to the wife of one of the missing loggers. I want to say Bob Ross's wife? Yes, Bob Ross. (laughs) She was complaining to him about how will she find the happy little trees. (laughs) This is when I made a comment and you didn't know if I was being true or not. 
it was, no. it was pretty great because I pretended that he was irritated by the lady. And you were like, I don't know how to read this. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we often have different reads on the men in this show. Yes. And I, I, was, I didn't pick up on that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to look at you to see that you were joking. Yes. I was just being a little chaotic. Like I said, it's been a really hard, long, chaotic week. So they all decide to, the four of them decide to drive up into the forest. Mustache guy complains about the environmentalist. Eventually their tires are punctured by what the monkey wrenches call caltrips. And what the rest of us call caltrips. Yep. Because that's just what they are. Yep. They end up having to leave the truck behind because not only did it puncture the left tire, it also punctured the right tire. And so they end up in the middle of the daytime walking from wherever they were all the way to the cabin in the daytime. Cabin in the daytime. Good movie. It was really good. It's just like a nice... It's the sequel to Cabin in the Woods. Atmospheric daytime movie. Nobody dies. Nope. Everybody's already dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, everybody does die. <laughs> Literally. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so... They search the cabin and Mulder finds some sticky stuff on everything and some drugs, which we don't know what he does with. Yeah. I tried to see both times. What does he do with them? He makes a motion like he throws them on the table, but you don't see him hit the table. And you don't hear him hit the table. Yeah, I'm wondering what Mulder did with those drugs. Drugs are bad and you should never do drugs. Oh, drugs are bad for somebody like Mulder. Can you imagine Mulder high and explaining everything to you? Yes. Oh, me too. Oh. No, thank you. That would be rough. So then they go outside and find out that the vehicles are monkey wrenched. And they decide that they need to go look around. So the ranger and the agents look around. The mustache guy stays behind. They have approximately one and a half hours of light remaining before they have to walk down the mountain trail in the dark. So this is where, on second viewing, I started paying attention to timing. Which is why I'm saying so much of the timing right now. Yes. <laughs> so there's no way they left at first light. No. However long it took for Mulder and Scully to get from their hotel room to the ranger station, plus whatever time they actually woke up, plus the time it took for them to drive to where they go, get their tires punctured, Yep. plus the time it took for them to walk from the car to the logging cabin. Yes. That's a lot of time. Plus the time that they took to investigate the cabin. Investigate the cabin. Look around the grounds, find that every single one of the vehicles there had been tampered with. Yeah. And then they still had an hour and a half to go look around elsewhere. Seems like you can make it quite a distance. I would. Yeah, in a day. You might not be able to. I totally could, because I'd have you, like, pull me on a sled. Oh, I'm just thinking at some point your hip would be like, not going any further, let the bugs get me. <laughs> Oof. That's rough. It's not nice being out in the woods. So they're walking around. All the trees are cut down. Uh, we see a giant cocoon, and they haul Scully up to cut it down. And both times they did this shot, David giggled. Her face acting in this scene is incredible. She is. <laughs> it's like Winona Ryder during that like Emmy speech. Yes. 
<laughs> she's doing so much she's with her face. She's doing so much with her face. It's great and I love it. <laughs> so the idea is to cut down the hive or egg sac or whatever it is because they don't know. I've seen egg sacs that look like that. What if it was an egg sac and she got up there with her face that close and then she touched it with her little... Her little, she didn't even have to, she like jiggled it a little bit and all the baby spiders got no, distracted and ran stop. out. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm so itchy. <laughs> right? They don't know. So she goes up there and then she finds that there's some human fingers in it and she stares at it a bunch of times. A bunch of times? No, for a long time. <laughs> One time for an extended period. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut to commercial because they don't want us to see the dried human body fall from 50 feet in the air. And so when we come back from commercial, we see them cut open the cocoon. They find the dried human body inside Scully touches it thoroughly with her bare hands, and Mulder contributes with dick jokes. <laughs> is she not wearing any gloves at all? Nope. Oh, man. Why does she always do that? Didn't bring any gloves into the woods, I guess. Oof. They decide it looks like a spider's nest, and they also determine that it has dehydrated the body. She says, like, it's cured. And then it's David said... person jerky. Yep. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. That's what you said. And I said, see... You only think pork is pig. It's tasty. It's really just desiccated human. Well, it wouldn't be desiccated. Pork is juicy. Jerky? Not jerky. Not jerky. Well, jerky's also not pork. Do you not do pork jerky? I haven't seen pork jerky. Sometimes they do the bacon jerky. That's usually too coated in sugar, though. So I don't really like it. Don't make a face like sugar isn't your number one drug of choice. Probably caffeine, if we're talking about my number one drug of choice. All right. All right. Well, if you know of pig jerky, I guess, tell us. Yeah, the bacon jerky is the only thing I know. That is pig. Yeah. Still but counts. they just, they slather in sugar. It's, ugh. I don't know. I know you don't know. Okay. So we cut back to camp. Humphreys tries to fix the generator, and he hears a sound inside the cabin. He walks into the cabin, pointing the gun at a guy drinking water, because it is super dangerous. When there is a person whose back is to you and they are obviously drinking water, the most dangerous criminal. The most dangerous game. Yes. High lie. (laughs) Yes, actually. (laughs) It turns out to be Doug Spinney. He says some ominous shit, then leads them outside to fix the generator. Mulder does walk inside and say, hey, what are you doing? To Humphreys, who's pointing a gun at somebody. Yeah. Just randomly pointing a gun at a random person. And the first person they've seen, who yes. might be one of the loggers for all they know. Right. But then, you know, company man is like, this is, this animal is Doug Spinney. Ugh. I hate this guy. I do too, but just wait about five seconds because Mulder starts pointing his gun randomly too. Oh, I know. Just, Ugh. just everyone's on edge all the time. It's ice all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Little tiny things infecting people. I actually had that thought, too. I was going to bring it up at the end. Oh, well, I brought it up. I ruined your plans. So it is a lot like ice. It's a thing that's been hibernating for a long time until humans go poking around places they really shouldn't. Yep. And then unleash worms and mites and stuff. That's right. Ugh, I'm so itchy. Sorry, everybody, if you're also itchy. So itchy. All right, outside, Spinny is trying to fix the generator. He, I guess, does he actually fix it? He No, uh, company man fixed it and he just puts gas in it. Okay. 
And then Spinney says he needs to eat. So he goes inside to eat. And the agents and the ranger fill in Humphreys about what they found out in the woods. Humphreys is just the worst kind of person. As Spinney is eating, he and Humphreys get in an argument where Humphreys loses, makes an ass of himself, and then goes outside and taunts the bugs. But unfortunately, he doesn't die then. Because there's too much light around. They actually make a point of it in this scene. So it's not like just the limitations of what they can do Mm -hmm. with the camera. Because they have shadows and stuff. And then they have the mites on one side of the tree where the light's not hitting. Yes. So... It's very good. It's it's. I think it's well done with what they have. Yeah. They did. They did exactly the best. Yeah. Good job. Good job, everybody. It turns out Mustache Guy and his company are cutting down trees that are hundreds of years old. Shocking. Oh man, I never would have thought loggers would do bad things. But they pay to cut down the trees. Who do they pay? I don't know. Politicians. <laughs> yeah. Well, bribes count, I guess, as paying somebody. It would still, he would still be telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Technicalities. Yeah. That's who I assumed he was paying. Makes sense to me. <laughs> um, Humphrey storms off alone while the others take core samples and I skipped an entire bunch of stuff. So there um, inside the cabin is when we know that the loggers are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. They're cutting down the trees with the orange X's, not the trees with the, just the green X's or blue X's. Maybe I'm, I'm colorblind, but only in my memory. And they wait until, so it gets, it gets dark. They don't go out then. But then when they go out, I guess it's the next day. Yeah, I guess. I'm not sure actually on this timing because it's dark in the cabin. So now I'm not really sure if it becomes nighttime. You've gone through it so fast. I have no idea where we are now. Well, some stuff happens in the cabin and then they go back out into the woods. And that's when they find that giant tree. They see the tree that was hundreds of years old, cut down. It's obvious. It You could lay Mulder across the stump of it, and his head and his toes still wouldn't reach the ends of this stump. It's a huge stump. Although, it is a prop, because if you're watching, when Humphreys goes over and touches the tree, the tree pushes in. Oh, I thought I saw that. I thought I imagined it. No. Oh, okay. All right. However they did this prop... It looks great. It's amazing. But when he touches it, and I was looking for it because I read it in one of the, the goofs. Yeah, I thought that I saw it and just assumed I imagined it. Nope. Ha! Huh. So, and while they're looking at this tree stump, they're talking about how you can tell how old trees are. And one of the rings, it has this weird goo in it. It's toward the middle. So hundreds of years ago, weird goo. But all the rest of it looks normal. So this is when we realize, oh, okay. So the bugs have come, have been released by this tree that wasn't supposed to be cut down being cut down. And of course, Humphreys is trying to distract everybody by saying that, of course, no, you, you know, these guys just put orange X's on all of these trees while they're standing next to it. It is obviously an old growth tree that you're not supposed to cut down. It's so huge. This dude just pulls stuff out of his out of his butt like the in, this entire scene. He really does. He's just excuse, excuse, yeah. excuse. Spinny's just sitting there while they're deciding to take a core sample and like trying to and poking around and figuring out what's going on with this tree. And Humphreys is like, "You're, I want him to be arrested. He's he's a murderer." And Mulder's like, "He's not going anywhere. He's just sitting, they, hanging out." Mulder doesn't bother to point out that there's no evidence that he murdered anybody. No, he does not. Yeah, FBI doesn't need evidence, apparently. It's, cops are gonna cop. Hmm, ACAB includes Mulder and Scully. There you go. 
So um, they do take a core sample, and this is when Humphreys huffs off and says that he's going to go down to the Rangers truck that was abandoned because of the caltrips. Mm-hmm. I almost said cantrips because we played D&D. <laughs> and this is where I said, so long, dude, you will not be missed. And it's true. After Humphrey storms off, we go back to the cabin, and it's just the three of them. They're looking at, no, it's four of them because I forgot the ranger was there too. The ranger, the agents, Spenny, Humphreys has effed off to the truck. So it's the four of them again. They're looking through a little microscope or something. I guess they brought a microscope, but they didn't bring gloves. It wasn't a microscope. It was this weird, like... Jeweler thing? Yeah, like tiny telescope looking thing. (laughs) Yeah, it was weird. that It's something I've never seen before, but apparently they had. Okay, it was a pocket scope of some sort. Maybe it's in the forensic case. Maybe, but no gloves. No. (laughs) Uh, They do see tiny tick-like bugs from the Coors Wood. They discuss it a little bit. Nobody is a bug person. What is a bug scientist? Uh, Entomologist. Yes, none of them are that. It turns out the big bad mustache guy's company destroyed the tree, waking up the ancient tick mites, and got themselves killed. Justice! Just kidding. Just kidding, guys. We actually do like blue-collar workers, just not the companies that employ them and break the laws for profit because they're garbage. I was proud of them for figuring it out so fast. It didn't take them, like, the next 15 minutes of the episode to finally go, Oh... It was like, oh, this ring in the tree, this is what happened. Yes. Um, I also want to continue that original thought. Most of us work for garbage companies at some point or other because of capitalism. So it's not just blue collar, it's all of us. (laughs) So solidarity to workers, not to these other people. Company men, you won't be missed. No. Are you ready for a science corner? Yes. Science Science corner with Kristen. While they're doing this, Scully mentions a brain-eating amoeba. Mulder does. Somebody mentions (laughs) a brain-eating amoeba. So I decided to do some research. The Nagleria fowleri, colloquially known as a brain-eating amoeba, is a species of genus Nagleria belonging to the phylum Percolozoa. Guys, I'm a marketer. I am not a scientist. Sorry. Which is technically not classified as a true amoeba, but is a shape-shifting ambioflagellate excavate. Okay. How crazy is that? It's a shapeshifter. <laughs> yeah, but it's tiny, so it can't shift into many shapes. Well, can. Just really I'm tiny I'm oval. Ones. No, I'm circle. <laughs> now I'm oval again. Well, experts estimate that between three and eight Americans die from infallery annually. <laughs> three to eight. Yes. Okay. At first, my brain heard three out of eight. <laughs> oh <laughs> like my that's God. So many people. <laughs> and I apologize for international listeners. I only had the um, stats for the United States because I got it from insider.com, which is weird. I didn't realize that was going to be my source, but it was for this. Um, and the state of Minnesota's health site which are both in the united states so i just had a basic stats here those victims are usually young and male the geographic most likely to jump into a warm lake it is possible that there are more cases than are being reported so it's usually young male victims getting a brain-eating amoeba because they're jumping into warm lakes oh that's nice we only get the flesh-eating bacteria here yeah i'm glad we don't have the brain eaters well do we because where is infallery most common in the world where and when is it most commonly found? 
It is found around the world, often in warm or hot freshwater, lakes, rivers, and hot springs. It is commonly found in lakes in southern tier states, but has caused infections in more northern states, including Minnesota. We would be a southern tier state. Right, but we don't have much freshwater around here. We just went diving in freshwater. Yeah, (laughs) and we had to drive an hour to get there. Oh, when you say around here, do you mean... Tampa? Yeah. This little peninsula part of Tampa that we're on? Yeah, where it's all salt water and brackish water. (laughs) Okay, because Land O'Lakes has like a hundred thousand lakes and they're all fresh. Good for them. (laughs) And that's not far from here. When I'm saying around here, I'm saying around here. (laughs) You mean mean our little lap around the block? I'm saying around here. (laughs) I see. Okay. It's like from here to where I work, (laughs) down to where I work. And then back again. Okay. Well, are you interested to know how infallery gets into the brain? Absolutely. All right. I assume that you snort it. <laughs> Possibly. Infallery dwells in warm bodies of fresh water where it dines on bacteria in the sediment. As such, most infections with the amoeba in the United States have occurred in southern states, typically Texas and Florida, during the summer. Because Texas and Florida don't have enough problems already (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's why we keep electing republicans because everybody's got brain-eating amoebas could be and this is also why i don't go swimming in fresh water oh that and alligators mainly water moccasins actually oh okay and alligator snapping turtles those are pretty brutal and alligators yes there's lots of reasons not to swim in fresh water here yeah i just started picturing it and i couldn't name them fast enough When the sediment of the lake is disrupted, amoeba gets stirred into the water. Swimmers can then inhale the parasite through their nose. I told you! (laughs) From there, infallery invades the olfactory nerves and migrates to the brain where it causes a dangerous condition called primary amoebic meningeoencephalitis. First try. Good job. (laughs) While swimming in freshwater is the most likely source of the amoeba, the same organism and other species of amoeba can cause brain infections in people who use tap water instead of sterile water or saline when using the nasal flushing neti pot. Oh, man. This source is inverse.com. So that's where I got that. I got different bits of this from different places. So definitely do your research because I'm doing preliminary research here. I also have a little bit of background about this bug and this episode. Chris Carter had always wondered if a tree is thousands of years old, why it couldn't be a time capsule for something which had existed that far back in history. He related, I thought, let's go to the woods and cut open one of those big trees. What if there were these bugs that escaped and hold everything hostage? Carter realized the episode's X-File could be the insects. And so he wanted to do something that had cocoons and nests. And he says, I wanted to also do a bottle show, which is a show where you take the characters up into the woods and keep them up there for a certain amount of time and pit them against each other. Yeah, he did that in Ice. Yep. So so it's just another rehash of Ice just in the woods with different insect. Yep. Yeah. Maybe that's just what he likes to write. I guess so. Hmm. Oh, well, they were both good episodes. That's true. I also have a little bit more because I figure if I was going to tell you all of the horrifying stuff, I might as well tell you that there is a treatment. I mean, do we really need that? <laughs> is it horse dewormer? The core antimicrobial treatment consists of the antifungal drug amphotericin B, which inhibits the pathogen by binding to its cell membrane steroids. Nope, sterols. Thus leading to cell membrane disruption and pathogen death. 
However, even with this treatment, the fatality rate is greater than 95%. Oh, no. New treatments are being sought. Miltfacine, Miltfacine? An antiparasitic drug which inhibits the pathogen via disrupting the cell survival signal pathway, PI3K-AKT-MTOR, has been used in a few cases with mixed results. Okay. So you know what? Just stay out of the water. Don't get brain amoebas. Stay out of the water. Stay out of the woods. No, you can stay in the woods. Just don't cut down giant trees. Stay out of the water. Go to the woods and just camp. Don't turn off the lights. (laughs) Back to the show. Later, after dark, we see Humphreys at the ranger's truck and there are no keys. He steps outside and the swarms begin. He hotwires the truck in three seconds, which is impressive, but it doesn't save him. The bugs come in through the air vents, looking like something from a Mucinex commercial. He did. R.I.P. to a fake one. (laughs) So then I was wondering how hot wiring a car works. So I went to How Stuff Works and did another science corner. Oh, oh goody. I was going to look up how to hot wire a car, but thought I might end up on a list somewhere. Well, hello to whoever's list I am on. From How Stuff Works, Hot Wiring 101. First, let's take a look at what hot wiring actually is. In its simplest form, it's a way to start a car by bypassing the ignition lock cylinder, which is the mechanical part where the ignition key is inserted to crank the car. And that's important because the older the car, the easier, air quotes, it is to hotwire. You're not going to actually tell people how to hotwire a car, are you? I think that might be illegal. No, it isn't. This is from How Stuff Works. This is a legit website. Okay. So in an explainer for Jalopnik, writer Jason Borchinski notes that most car models from the post-90s on are equipped with built-in immobilizers, which make hot wiring a lot more complicated, but not impossible. Cars with immobilizers are designed not to start if that immobilizer isn't bypassed with the correct key. So modern cars, especially since it says post-90s and on, so the cars from the last 20 years, you can't really do this. Not easily, anyway. However, an older model car, pre-90s, without an immobilizer, is still fairly easy to clip on a few connectors you can get from a hardware store and hotwire that car without a key. Don't do this because it's illegal, and if you do get caught hotwiring a car, it needs to be your car, and you need to be able to prove that it's your car. But it's pretty interesting. Also, don't tell them who told you how to hotwire a car. But what about late model cars? We're talking about the ones with fancy push-button ignitions and key fobs. Can you hotwire those? The answer is no. Oh. Essentially, these cars work more like computers. They unlock whenever the key fob is in the vicinity, and the ignition starts with a press or turn of a button. There's no ignition lock cylinder to bypass. These changes basically rendered the entire hot wiring process obsolete. Huh, okay. Isn't that interesting? It is. It's also unfortunate for my wasteland walking plans. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's not going to work. Sorry about that. Then we go back to the cabin. The generator is running smoothly, says the closed caption. (laughs) It's keeping the light on and the ranger and the agent safe. Scully remembers bug theory from Bioclass. Mulder determines the ring was volcanic and changes in climate are what's feeding the bugs. They also mention a brain-sucking amoeba from Spirit Lake, and I have just a tiny bit about that. (laughs) The creature mentioned by Mulder and Spenny in the episode is a brain-eating amoeba, or in Fowlery Amoeba, which is the one that I talked about earlier, which does indeed live in Spirit Lake and has likely been afflicted by the Mount St. Helens eruption, though not in the way Mulder implies. In Fowlery Amoeba live in warm freshwater environments from lakes to hot springs and in 1991 was observed living in Spirit Lake. 
Rather than being a mutation, as Mulder suggests, though, it's thought that they simply always lived in the lake, and the eruption simply made conditions right for them to multiply. If inhaled by a person, they migrate to the brain and feed on brain tissue with a sucking apparatus. Though <laughs> sucking a man's brain out is perhaps a stretch. Perhaps. Humphreys hasn't returned. Spenny thinks that it's all poetic justice and goes to bed in the dark? Yeah, he does. He just straight up walks into a bedroom that has no lights on. Yeah. That's a yeah, misstep on that one. Yes, because in a moment we see we've already seen the amoebas, not the amoebas, the bugs on the backside of things in shadow, and shortly we'll see them inside and in the corners of the cabin. So he would just be in a room full of these things. Yeah. <laughs> The next morning, Spinney steals the gasoline and starts fixing the truck. Well, first we have to mention Scully's vest. Oh. It is tragic. It is a tragic vest. It is a tragic vest. Vest watch with Dave. Thumbs down on this vest. Oh, no. This is where Mulder points the gun at Spinney. It's full daylight, and it seems like a conversation without a gun would suffice. Like Mulder said, he's not going anywhere. He really isn't. He's just digging around in the engine full of rice i don't know he's not <laughs> actually going anywhere yeah it's uh yeah i don't i don't like this this pull no it's a bad pull not good spinny wants to save his buddies who need more fuel so they don't die in the dark and after a brief discussion Mulder lets him go holy crap Mulder! what the hell Mulder thinks that he can make unilateral decisions and every time he does it's a bad call this was possibly the worst call he's ever made this was so stupid. I was so mad at him. So was Scully in her bad vest. Yes. So Mulder spends the day hot wiring a radio. As he's calling for help, the radio dies. Turns out the ranger turned off the generator. He wants to save gas. And this is when they all realize that Spinney is gone. The ranger is angry that Mulder lets Spinney go save his friends. And sure, they're trusting him with their lives, but Spinney wants to save people, not screw them over. Ugh, the ranger <laughs> is right. Freddy, Freddy is right. Ridiculous. Mulder asks Scully what she would have done. What would you have done, Scully? He gets real aggressive with this. And when she rightly points out that he made a unilateral decision that impacts the entire group and their lives, he yells at her to stop being sanctimonious. <laughs> what the hell? Unbelievable. Yeah. And he's just trying to push through it. Like, okay, I. he's like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. Have you ever heard the philosophy that a man, once he admits wrongdoing, is immediately forgiven for said wrongdoing? Oh, God. <laughs> no, man. <laughs> no. I've met and, several men who believe in that philosophy. And Mulder's so wrong. And Scully is so right. But in the end, he did forgive her for that vest. So. <laughs> no! <laughs> Nope. I think it's maybe. It's not a one-to-one. -one. I think maybe she should uh, give him a pass. What if I told you that she was wearing the vest because she was so sick during this entire filming? Still a bad vest. Maybe it's her comfort vest. It's an extra bad vest. Well, I have a comfort popple, so I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> After they finish arguing, Scully is touching the only light bulb that works. David exclaims, what? As he drops his pen. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, don't let me unscrew the light bulb, obviously. Yeah, I don't know why she was touching the light bulb. Mulder was tacking up some plastic in one corner of the, the room, but 
you yeah. know, the slats still had full yeah. inch spaces between them in the rest of the room. Yeah, he said, he said, don't let, let's make it so the bugs can't get in. But yeah, the wood slats were so far apart. They had only, they only had one sheet of drop cloth. <laughs> it was not enough. As the night goes on, the generator is running and Spenny hasn't returned. Scully sees the bugs in a dark corner as she's laying down, resting under the light. She gets close to them to get a better look with the light still on and she feels them crawling on her. She freaks out, rightly, but as she's flailing around, she hits the light bulb, which we're like, oh no, it's the only one, there are no more light bulbs. Mulder grabs her to calm her, not in an aggressive way, in an actual good way. She can feel them on her, and she's saying, can you see them, can you get them off of me? And this is when, if you haven't figured it out yet, he lays it out for everybody that the bugs are actually everywhere all the time. Well, she doesn't feel them on somebody steps forward and casts a shadow on her hand and she sees them on her hand is that what happened that's what happened i thought she felt them no she she's got her hand like up on the the suitcase or whatever and somebody steps forward and casts a shadow over oh they're all they're just all over her hand immediately i missed that okay so she's trying she's asking if they if he can see them on her and that's when he tells her they're everywhere And she says, but I thought the light was supposed to protect us. Which, yeah. And he says, it is. The light keeps them from swarming, which is so scary. Yeah. But he also says that the greasy residue that's all over everything is the bugs. They're not all covered in greasy residue. I know. I don't understand that. I guess it's it's the best estimation of an infestation, maybe. A bug (sighs) infestation. They should have just not done the greasy residue. I think they He were... could just say that they're all over us already. But and... then how would he have been letting us know that's what was happening? Because he could have intuited that. Well, with the greasy residue, as he's he, you can see him figuring it out throughout the whole episode. Yeah, but... I don't know how else they would have done it. I think he could have just intuited it. Like everything else? It annoys me when he does that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I just don't... Because they are not covered in the greasy residue, so the bugs being on them doesn't make sense strictly because the bugs are the greasy residue hmm. i don't know i, I guess w- i was just thinking that the greasy residue was the fecal waste left behind by the bugs that would be a better way to do it but that's not what he says well maybe his intuition was wrong and i was right okay that makes more sense <laughs> all right so that's terrible Mulder and scully sit on a cot and discuss how the bugs oxidize their prey as the light flickers There's about an hour and a half until sunrise, and there's no time between that sentence and the generator running out of gas. But then we find out that, oh, there was a cut somewhere. There was a small edit because they were sitting elsewhere, which is to let us know that that time had passed, and, oh, the sun is rising. Good job. Yeah, they need to do some soft fades or something. There should have been. (laughs) I'm not a huge fan of, like, crazy cuts and fades. We don't need, like, a Star Wars situation here. But something, because the first time I watched it, I missed it completely. And I was like, how, how many time passed? Yeah, and the same thing happened in Miracle Man. Yes. So I think they need star wipes. That star would... wipes is the way to go, just every, between every scene. You know, maybe we will, maybe we'll evolve as the episodes, or the seasons go on. I hope so. We'll see. So now it's daytime, and they discuss tires. They hike to the ranger's truck and find Humphreys. Spiny arrive, Spinny arrives in a jeep and takes him out of there as fast as he can. 
But unfortunately, the Jeep is empty except for him because his friends did not survive. R.I.P. to the real ones. Yeah. Stark again. The days are just flying by here. <laughs> Spenny hits some cow trips, and as he's standing in the Jeep's headlights, the bugs swarm, and he runs away. So Spenny hits some cow trips, and I wrote down, what was that you were saying? Poetic justice? <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> but yes, he is standing in the headlights when he gets swarmed. Another misstep, and this one's egregious. This one was pretty bad, yeah. He is just lit up, like, I was going to say like a Christmas tree, but that's after the bugs swarm him. Yes. Oh. <sighs> but yeah, he's he's lit up. He's bright. He's in the light. It's how he's lit for this scene. Yeah. <laughs> so. So the, bug, the bugs should not have been able to get him where he was. No. And they did. Yeah. And I don't like it. Bad move. Well, I think they're getting close to the end and they needed to move it along. I think what they could have done is he could have stepped out of the lights and it got on part of him. And then when he got attacked by, when he partially got attacked, if he freaked out at that point, he runs in away from, he just runs around and out of the light. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of done it a few ways, but. I think they're, you know what? This sounds like they were ready for this whole shoot to be over. Right. Because also they're telling him to get back in the car. Not in the light. And then they get got. Yep. Instead of going out and standing in the headlights. Yes. So they get got and a green goo squishes across the screen. Oh, and we get to see uh, Jillian Anderson's swatting skills again. Yes. Yep. (laughs) Swatting skills. So good. The next day they're discovered, cocooned, and taken to a high containment facility. I did forget to mention that when Spinny came to get them, he said, don't worry, I radioed our location. Mm-hmm. So that's how the uh, the suits find them the next day. And they are absolutely cocooned, which means... Uh, company man might have still been alive? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, final scene. We are in the high containment facility in Winthrop, Washington. These guys' containment suits do not look very containment-y. They're just wearing these thin latex gloves that you can actually see their skin tone underneath. Oh, I didn't notice. I, didn't, I just noticed they were in gloves. I didn't notice how flimsy That's they were. so thin. Hmm. So their suits, you didn't like their suit fashion, like, as much as I talked about the space, the 2001 Space Odyssey no. suit no. fashion? No. Oh, well. Can't all be high fashion. Ooh, fashion. Inside the facility, we see the Ranger and Scully in hospital beds. They have bites or marks across their faces and are both out. Mulder hobbles in with an oxygen tank, but he's moving. They're all alive, obviously, because the two who are, even though they're knocked out, they're still breathing, you can tell. And they were found in time before they were dehydrated to death. Uh, Mulder asks about the containment. Would you like to be Mulder or the man? Ooh, I'll be the man. All right. So I'm Mulder. I told her it was going to be a nice trip to the forest. I start to walk away. How are you going to contain it in the forest? I turn back. What if the swarm migrates? The government has initiated eradication procedures. They're quite certain by using a combination of controlled burns and pesticides, they will be successful. And if they're not? That is not an option, Mr. Mulder. Walks out, leaving Mulder to his thoughts. And as Adam Savage from Mythbusters would tell you, Failure is always an option. (laughs) 
I agree. So, any final thoughts before we move on to the shipping and surviving? Nah, just a little bit of... They, they made a couple missteps. A couple things that could have been done differently. And this could have been an absolutely terrifying episode. Yes. They could have really leaned into the horror aspect as opposed to the sci-fi aspect on this one. That's very true. And it, it would have been bone chilling. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would have made it better. I did like it, though. I liked it, too. I, I did like the episode. On that note, I am going to... This is a conversation we had off mic a couple days ago. I'm going to give them extra points for not making it some sort of random, unexplainable magic. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> not a fan of just random magic as the explainer. Yep. I will take uh, aliens. I will take science fiction. I will take lore and mythology. But if you just give me... Oh, uh, it must have it must have just been magic. No, nope. <laughs> not here for it. Yeah. So who are you shipping? I am shipping all of the quote unquote eco terrorists. I'm going for a quadruple on this one. Oh. Yeah. They're gonna have a little commune. Yeah, I mean they got they all have like the same politics, mm-hmm. and uh, they clearly get along very well. They can go out in the woods and you know have a good time. Yeah. What's the, what's the best part about camping? Yeah. Woo! <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah! <laughs> uh-huh! <laughs> you will do this as long as I let you continue. <laughs> Woo-hoo! <laughs> I went a whole different direction. You went just like, love, love, love. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I am choosing in Fallery. The brain-eating amoeba, brain-sucking amoeba, okay. and Humphrey's bosses. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I like that combo. Good combo. How are you surviving? I feel like uh, this was an easy way to survive. Too easy, and uh, kind of took away from the entire episode. Oh. I make a fire. They, it was raining. I don't remember it raining. Yeah, I think it was raining here while we were watching the episode, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, look, I remember episode rain. <laughs> they were all out there walking around. I never saw rain. You're right. No, it was just, I just kept looking out the window. No, just kidding. It was raining here. <laughs> you know what? That would have been a good one. Once we realized that they had gotten there fully in the daytime, I one, I would have just <laughs> run back down the mountain. <laughs> But let's say I couldn't do that. There's a point where they are they want to get the car or one of the trucks and drive away. The one with the caltrips, I guess, or one of whatever. One yeah, of they the take tr- a tire from the other one. Right. Why not do that immediately? And either regardless, if you don't if you only have one tire or no tires or whatever, if it's if it means it's gonna save my life, I am destroying those rims and just <laughs> driving that truck as far away as possible and when it the axle cracks and breaks off them getting out and running the rest of the way yeah yeah that's what i'm doing all right episode 20 we have now lasted as long as castle rock the stephen king show that we never finished we watched season one yeah season one was good yeah and the dukes it was a cartoon where the Duke boys and Daisy Duke race Boss Hog and Sheriff Roscoe around the world. In their racist car. 
<laughs> it's a cartoon, so the car might talk and be racist. <laughs> I believe the episode coming out this week is the one where we do the whole... <laughs> yep. <laughs> Bringing it back around. <laughs> That's why I said it. All right. Bye. Bye. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a Tee Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Atuka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. 